Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Dan does join us today. The show is actually Zolgad and Manny and Dan Hayes. Uh, because he's a very smart guy, and because he covers not just the Twins beat, but he covers everything about it, Dan is genius. He's skipping this awful series in Cleveland to go to the fort and and watch a better baseball team and actually learn about prospects who might help. Welcome, Dan Hayes. What's going on? Um, I'm I'm good, and uh, although it's a little hot down here, it is hotter. So maybe I'm not quite as smart, but... They are closer in the pennant race. They're only half out, so yeah. Nice. Well, you know what? We're on the stage here at the State Fair, and it's about 58 degrees. So oh, wow. you're still smarter. You're much smarter <laughs> than us, at least. Uh, hey, so te- there's a percent yeah. for everything. <laughs> That's not true. So tell us what is uh, going on there, and I take it that you are uh, probably working on another story on, on the guy that we eventually, in the next couple of years, certainly expect to be here in uh, Royce Lewis. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, it's funny. It, this is the second time I've come to see him, and uh, I, I just got here. But he's he's sort of in another slump, and he was in May when I saw him. Um, but overall, you can't take away from what he's done this year, and it's been a fantastic year. Um, and I think, you know, we see the offensive side. The numbers are hard to not notice, uh, but but the defense has come a long way, and. There's been a lot of work uh, surrounding footwork and, and getting himself in position to use his arm because he has a good arm. Mm-hmm. You just, you know, you're you're a kid before that, and you're playing high school, and you're not getting the kind of instruction. And there's been a lot of work on that side of the ball, and, and the Twins are very pleased with how he's come along because there were, frankly, questions whether or not he could stick as a shortstop. And after year one, after the first full year, I think that you would argue that he he has a better shot than he did going into this year, and. Who knows what that means, um, if he's eventually a second baseman or, or a center fielder. Any way that it works out, his bat would play. There's yeah. more power than they thought. And so I think that overall they've been very happy with what they've gotten from him. And it's been a long year for him. I mean, in May he was talking about how long of a year it already was, and that was only about eight, nine weeks into the season. So I, I think that for him to have rebounded the way he did at Fort Myers, or I'm sorry, at uh, Cedar Rapids before yep. he left was was a big deal, and and he's continued on, and you know he's in a little like five for forty eight spell right now. Um, it, it hasn't been a good week and a half for him or two weeks, but the team is uh, still in the race. They're half out going into tonight with uh, three or four left, I think. Where where do you think that he and uh, Kirilov start two thousand nineteen? And and despite the fact that I'm sure we're going to have several very excited conversations about their progress, what do you think a realistic projection for them to be a target field is, Dan? Um, well, I think Kirloff, I wouldn't be surprised at all 
if he gets a Chattanooga to start next year. He's just, I mean, there was a, there was a small chance he was going to go this year before it ended. Uh, that hasn't happened. I think that's probably because Fort Myers is in this race. Um, but Kirilov has been just outstanding all around. And and if he's starting next year at, at Chattanooga, I mean, it wouldn't shock me if we're talking next year for the big leagues. I mean, that's, you know, if you can do what you've done all year at A, at double A, that's the, that's the leap right there. And once you, you know, kind of started to hit at double A, um, it wouldn't stun me if we saw him in 2020 at, at uh, Minnesota. But um, Royce Lewis, I still think he starts here at high A. Um, I, you know, he's on a fast track. It wouldn't be a long stay. Um, but I, I think that they want him to conquer every level, and there's no, you know, it doesn't kill you to have him come back here and learn some more because you don't want to rush your guy. Um, you want him to get through and, and have struggled in the minor leagues, and I think that he's done that a little bit, and for him to experience this and, and conquer it and then move on, um, you know, and, and I put him still probably more 2021 but, or, uh, wait, I'm sorry, 2020, uh, you know, end of 2020 possibly, uh, but definitely 2021 for Lewis. Um, I mean, it's, it's possible he goes much faster if he has another season like he did to start. I mean, you know, up until six weeks ago, he's hitting 330 here. I think the average has dropped to about 260 here, but um, he's still overall in the year hitting somewhere around 300 or 310. It, it's been a really good year for him. So, Dan, what, what is the overall projection on the type of player that Royce Lewis can be? I mean, obviously he's expected to be very good because he was drafted number one overall, but what 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 sort of players, if, if, if I asked you what sort of numbers a good season for Royce Lewis could be when he gets to the big leagues or when, he's, when he reaches his prime in the big leagues, what sort of player is he? Is he a guy that's going to have a lot of power or is he – going to be more of a hit-for-average type of guy? Is he more of a speedster? What what can Twins fans sort of expect to see from Royce Lewis once he finally re- reaches the big leagues? Uh, you know, there, there have been a lot of comps thrown out there for him. Um, the Jeter, and that's so lofty to say. <laughs> that's just, it's unfair to throw on any kid that he's got to be a Hall of Famer. Um, oh, there's no pressure there. Derek <laughs> Jeter, yeah, there's no pressure there. There's Not some at all. similarities, though, for, between their games. Uh, you know, I, I could see him being a guy that, hits about 12 to 15 home runs um but there's a potential for a little bit more maybe he could hit 21 year maybe uh that's you know that would probably be the high end of things but you know they've been really happy with how he has put on muscle this year in in between that 18 and 19 year old season um and and how he's kind of maturing physically so you know there's I, i i think he's a 300 average guy um they're, they're still swing and miss in there. there. There's a little bit of that, and, and the word raw is used somewhat when describing him. But I think that he projects to that 312-15 homer guy, and you hope he's at shortstop because that really works at shortstop. And, yeah. uh, the strikeouts have come down a little bit. Um, you know, he, he does a good job of walking and getting on base, and, and he's, he's a quick guy. I mean, I, you know, I, I would think that he's a 15-30 kind of candidate. Um, and and if you have that, you have a, a spot for that for a long time. And beyond that, you know, he'd be, without question, a leader in the clubhouse just because his style of play is kind of infectious. He's just always upbeat, always, you know, always happy. He loves playing baseball. Um, 
And, I, you know, he's a guy that people like to rally around, and, and we've seen that a lot uh, in talking to teammates. They just, you know, he's, it's hard not to like him. And so I think that if you throw that package together, you can see why the Twins won him at number one last year. Uh, so let's talk Buxton, because as recently as Sunday, uh, Paul was not w- willing to officially say that comes uh, Saturday, Dan Hayes, when rosters can be expanded from 25 to 50, that Buxton would be recalled. Uh, Manny and I have been talking about this throughout the course of today's show, and we've gotten a couple of notes pointing out that Buxton, if he doesn't come back here, will will be 12 days uh, shorter on service time, which could ultimately, on the back end of the contract, help the Twins. And we both said, who cares about service time? Because this guy is such an unknown at this point and where, the, where his career might be going that he needs to play. Uh, what is your feeling, number one, Dan Hayes, about what the Twins will do here? And two, your personal feeling about the fact that the contract, in some way, shape, or form, could play a role in what the Twins do do in September with Byron Buxton. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you guys on the the unknown factor, and because of that, um, you know he better be back. Now, honestly, your your 2019 yeah. season is is riding on what he can do, and you know the good part is is he's forcing their hand. I just looked it up right now. The last ten days, and he's been playing every day. Um, the last ten days, three eighty six, four thirteen, six fifty nine, um, seven doubles, a triple, a homer. You know, forty six play appearances, and he's got nine extra base hits, he better be here. I mean, look, you can't go into next year with him having played only for those first 11 days healthy in April and then getting hurt, getting the migraines, and then fouling the ball off his foot. I, I just can't see them trying to put together next year with the idea that they might be able to win if Buxton isn't a part of that. And I think that him getting back is, is critical. The service time, honestly, you're going to – you. If you kept him down when he's got a, let me just see what that OPS is, added up 1,072 OPS his last 10 games, you're going to upset him quite a bit. That's just my guess is that he feels healthy. He wants to show them. He wants to get back to the big leagues. He's worked so hard. He's earned it. Um, I, I really think that it would be a mistake not bringing him back. And, and I think that they know that, that they're they're conscious of it. I think they want him to kind of prove it, and I think he's doing that right now. So. I mean, it would be for a very interesting September if he doesn't come back, but he, he's deserving of it. What what are the reasonable expectations for him now, too, at this point, Dan? Because it's been it's been three years now since he was called up to the bigs for the first time, and, and you know, we've, we've seen all the injuries, and we've seen flashes of, I mean, the last couple of months of last season, he was he was terrific. He played yeah, he the was best elite. baseball of his, yeah, he was, he was, he was fantastic played the best baseball of his career but now we've had the injuries again and the struggles at the plate and just the inability to find consistency at the plate because he's been injured so much what are reasonable expectations i mean should people still expect byron buxton to be a superstar eventually at this point or are we just are we just reserved to just hoping that he becomes a decent major league player i you know i mean you look at what aaron hicks is doing this year and yeah. I think that's a guy that people gave up on early. And Aaron Hicks, I don't know if it's superstar numbers, but he's got an 840 OPS. He's still the same elite defender. He's got 22 homers for the Yankees. He's he's stuck with the Yankees. I mean, think about that. The Yankees have run all these guys out there and paid a ton of guys. And 
Aaron Hicks found a way to stick around uh, through some struggling years, the last two years. I mean, he hit 217. He hit, he hit a 617 OPS in 2016 as a 26-year-old. Um, and here he is as a 28-year-old and having a breakout year. And I think that it's a perfect comp. You don't give up on guys who are de- this elite of a defender. Um, so there, it might still take some time. I mean, he, he still is relatively young in his, base, his, his major league experience. I mean, but at the same time, you'd love to see him break through. And, and the way he played at the end of last year makes you think it's not very, you know, very far off at all. But I, this has just been a disaster year for him because of the injuries cropping up one after the other. And, and it's got to be a frustrating year for him because I know, you know, talking to him mentally going in, he was in a really good spot. Um, and it, it just hasn't gone the way that he wanted it to or the team wanted to. And here we are uh, at the end of August, and, and uh, they're way out, and, you know, they're just not where they thought they were going to be. And he, it's, he and, and Sano are big reasons why that's happened. But I think that it's, uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see what he can do this last month just to, to get a little platform for next year and some confidence. Dan, what do you think the internal feeling at the Twins is on Kepler? Because his splits are really weird now. On the road, he's been a complete mess. We all thought, well, if he can hit left-handed pitching in 2018, he's going to be fantastic. And, in fact, he's been okay against that. Um, But what do you think the Twins make of this kid? And is this a learning year? Is this a year of actual concern? Because because the statistics bear out some some cause for for worry. What's What's your feeling about how... Valvi Levine and this team feel about Max Kepler now near the end of 2018 this season? I, it, it's hard to say. I, I think that when you look overall, um, I mean, OPS would suggest he's having an average year, and I think there's some good signs. He's walking more and he's striking out less. He's hitting for a little bit more power than he was last year. Um, so, you know, I, I think in some regards he's taken a step forward, and yet it hasn't been as much of a step forward as they would hope it is. But, I, you know, it's just another year of growth for a, a guy who really is working hard at his game. Um, but there's that question because teams love him. I mean, they're, you know, that Chris Archer rumor that came out in spring training absolutely was true. The The Rays wanted him. And he would have been the centerpiece of a package. Now, obviously, there would have been some good minor leaguers going back, but that's how much teams like him. Um, they see him potentially as a center fielder, and, and he's still young and affordable, but he's getting to that point where he's going to hit Arb. Um, you know, I think he is going to pass over. He might be super two because he's going to be around 2.15 years um, or two, two years and 152 days. So most likely he is going to be arbitration eligible next year, which means he starts to get – more and more expensive, but I, you know, unless you're getting something great back, um, it, it's hard to see them moving on from him. It, it's it's a guy they really like. The tools are all there. The power obviously is starting to show even more so. And and like you mentioned, the lefties have been solved a little bit. So, you know, there's still a reason to to think there's more in there. But at the same time, they have Kirilov, they have Rooker, they have. Larnick. They have guys coming who are, are good hitters um, in the minor leagues. And, and so if they can move them, you know, who knows? It, 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 they have a lot of questions. That's, that's the hardest part about this roster is what this year, this step back has meant is 
which guys do you keep and which guys do you move on with? And and I think that he's on that keep side, but at the same time, you know, I think Buxton's on that keep side, and I think Sano's on that keep side, and so where do you go? Because you're going to keep your shortstop, and, and obviously Eddie Rosario is a guy you can kind of build around, so do they make a switch with Kepler? I mean, that it, it's possible. I don't know, though. We're talking with Dan Hayes from The Athletic uh, about the Twins here on Mackie and Judd, Manny and Judd here on the stage at the State Fair. So, Dan, I want to ask you about Nick Gordon because he has not hit the ball particularly well this year in the minors, and there's a, the hope that eventually he's going to come up and possibly be your second baseman. Uh, you know, maybe an inside, maybe a slight hope he'd be a shortstop, but more likely he'd be a second baseman. Where where are they at with him right now? Is is he ready to? Would he be ready to come up next year? I know he struggled at the plate this year. Um, it, it, would Nick Gordon be ready to come up next year? Do you think, or are they looking at maybe having to bring you know Logan Forsythe back to be your second baseman next year? I mean, why you could potentially think of Eduardo Escobar as your second baseman and, and try and bring him back. I'd be all for um, that because I love my guy Eddie Esco. I'd be all for that. He, so you know, and, and and he would bring some leadership back that they need right now. They yeah. have they have a lot of good guys in there. They don't. I don't know that they have one guy that ties it all together. Um, you know, the, and I think Escobar could definitely do that at second base or at third base, depending on what way you went with Sano, but. Um, it's, it's it's been a weird year for Nick Gordon. He honestly had a great spring, and looking at him at spring training, I thought that as a kid that needed one good month and, and was good enough to be in the majors, obviously the roster dictated that they play out with Escobar and Dozier and, and try to build up their trade value as much as possible before free agency or or be in a pennant race with them and, and try to win because they were the players that gave you the best chance of that. and. There's there's opportunity here for him right now, and I don't think he's going to be up here in the next couple of days. Um, it doesn't sound like he's had the kind of year where they're going to promote him, and and you wonder what that means for next year um, because it, it's it's hard to say. Yeah, we're going to go in and let him win the job in spring training. Now, that doesn't necessarily, you know, what, where they think they're going is yep. going to dictate what they do with the off season, and and if they think they need to bring someone in from the outside, I mean. This team has a ton of money free to, to spend next year. You know, there's not very much on the books, and I, I think there's something like $30 million right now uh, guaranteed for next year, and, and that's, that's a ton of money to just go out and be able to put on your weaknesses, and if they don't think Gordon's the guy right now, it wouldn't surprise me if they brought in somebody from the outside for second base, if, whether it's Escobar or Forsyth and and that's the kind of position that he's put himself in this year because I know he had a disappointing second half last year, and he started out and had a nice run at, at Chattanooga this year, but then it really hasn't gone well at Rochester, and, and I think that he's put them in the position where they have to evaluate and see what else is out there. Thank you, sir. Appreciate the time. All right, guys. Thanks. Talk to you. Dan Hayes, the athletic uh, Twins beat writer, does fantastic work, and uh, he right now is a very smart man because he did not go on the Cleveland trip because the season <laughs> is lost, so he's in Fort Myers watching uh, guys like Lewis and Kirloff and actually guys who, if we're right about them, will contribute, but we said the same thing about Buxton and Snow, and look where we're yeah. sitting right now. I am all for bringing back Eduardo Escobar. I think he they, my, one of my favorite baseball players. Had a, I love him to death. Mackey had a source who told him right after that trade that, that – Escobar was very open to coming back here. Yeah, and so yeah, I don't think there's any damage done there. 
Like the Dozier thing, it's done and he's gone. Yep. But the Escobar thing, I think it's very realistic that he's going to be uh, back on this roster in 2019. Let's, uh, let's take a break. Let's come back. A former Twins pitcher has uh, put something out there that I find to be an insult to all of baseball. We'll talk about that next. Want exclusive access to U.S. Bank Stadium? Well, then purchase your tickets now for CCFA's A Touch of Flag Football Tournament September 8th. Flag football teams will take over the field in a six-on-six tournament to raise money for the Crohn's Colitis Foundation. The day also includes exclusive stadium tours, memorabilia auction, 1500 ESPN fan zone, and more. More details can be found at 1500ESPN.com. Keyword events. Thank you, James. And today the um, the TCL Broadcast Studios are actually from the Minnesota State Fair where we're up on the porch, 1500 ESPN porch, if you want to check us out. We are right by the grandstand, Garage Logic at 1 o'clock. Uh, Wild Assistant GM Tom Curvers, uh, former uh, Bloomington Jefferson standout and, of course, played a long time in the National Hockey League after a career at UMD, will join us at 1130 to talk about the state of the wild and plenty of other hockey stuff. Manny Hill, uh, who is with me today in for Phil. Why don't you why don't you read to me what you uh what you gave me off the air regarding a tweet from Phil Hughes, the former Twins pitcher. Yes, dateline uh at PJ Hughes forty five uh overnight at about uh, August twenty eighth, so that would have been what, Tuesday night? Five five beers in probably? Yeah, probably. Uh he tweets out, Tell me your most unpopular opinion. Well, then last night he quotes that tweet and then says, uh, <laughs> "This is ten last night. <laughs> last last night, Dateline, eleven o five p.m., August twenty eighth, twenty eighteen. Okay, here's mine. You ready? Beyond the history, Wrigley and Fenway suck. Does he give any reason? So he doesn't like the he, clubhouses. So, so John Butchagras, yep, uh, responds back to him with a with a uh, with a gif of just like a bird just shaking its head, like no, with the caption no. Okay." And Phil goes, give me a reason that has nothing to do with history or nostalgia then. And Butcher Gross goes, one, they're both in top five American cities. The perimeter of the parks are, is, are authentic. The visuals are unique. The wall, the ivy, the history. No, not history. The real present. They are the final two ballparks with a real genuine pulse. And <laughs> Phil Hughes goes, the city is irrelevant. I love Chicago and Boston. I'll agree the visuals are unique, though. <laughs> and Butcher Gross goes, the city is not irrelevant. It's everything. The soundtrack of the game and experience. Phil comes back with, spend nine hours in their visiting clubhouses okay, and let me know if you can hear those That's what I thought the complaint was. <laughs> now, if I'm not mistaken, uh, when I got the tour of Fenway Park, when I went there for the first time with Dawn in June, I think they've redone the clubhouses there. Now, because they, they used to be, here's my, here's my point about both ballparks. If they had been totally left alone, then they would be garbage. Mm-hmm. I mean, they'd be they'd be great history. Babe Ruth played, uh, obviously called a shot. They'd Wrigley, be Oakland. Yeah, but they'd be garbage. <laughs> but they've both been heavily redone. And yeah. when I went to Fenway, I, I was blown away. And, yes, the history is huge. But I was blown away by it because the neighborhood is great. The setting is great. Let's be honest. When they built things back in the day, and I'm not saying they were all great, okay? So this is not a <laughs> get off my lawn. But when they built things back in the day... A lot of things were built really well, built to last, and built in areas that now you couldn't build in necessarily. Yeah. I mean, Fenway is in a neighborhood, and, and it's been turned into, and Wrigley now is more and more the same thing. They've been turned into these party districts that are incredibly fun. 
And I, I don't know. I just, I, if, I, okay, if you're going to judge it based solely on the clubhouse, I'm sure, yeah, okay, it's not well, Target Field's visiting clubhouse. It's not, it's not luxurious. And of course, he just got through spending a lot of time with the Padres this yep. year, and he's now he's gone from he's, them, right? Yeah, yeah. Did they doesn't have for assignment? They, yeah, they released him earlier this year. Um, and so you know, and Petco, from what I hear from people, is Petco is just beautiful, and it's got all the great stuff. But yep. some person actually replied to uh, his initial tweet and said, "I've never been to either, but what makes them bad ballparks?" And he goes, "Okay, good." He goes, "The same reason your really old car was bad." Uh, I'm sorry, I just can't. <laughs> Yeah, I I get it if you're a player. I get you're a player and you I, and you go to these ballparks now that are luxurious and really nice. But those two ballparks to me are still fantastic. And he doesn't get it from like a a fan view either. He's right, that's a yeah. player's view. Well, yeah. what one person says, uh, heaven heaven forbid a visiting clubhouse isn't the Taj Mahal when you get paid millions of dollars to play baseball. LOL, Wrigley is incredible when uh when it's rocking. And Phil replies back, Taj Mahal, I'd settle for not a dumpster. I will say this. Now, I can't, I cannot weigh in on this because I've never been to Wrigley and I've never been to Fenway. So I can't. Well, we got to get you to at yeah, least Chicago. No, I, yeah, I know, for sure. Yeah, I've, 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 I do want to see Wrigley. I'm, I've been very curious about it. But, so I can't weigh in on an opinion on this, but I do have to give Phil at least some credit for being bold enough to come out with these opinions and because he cause he, wonder, he know he knew he was going to get pushback on this i wonder if this is a guy who possibly is saying i'm done playing and i'd really right. like a job at sure. espn or something yeah because that's a that's a good hot take yeah if you come out if you come out of the gate with a, a twitter hot take of i play professionally and finway and wrigley pretty much stink that's a pretty good hot take to come out with. I would be the people in Bristol know. are going to be like, we like that. Yeah, that Phil Hughes, some attitude there. I would want to hear his opinion on like every ballpark, though. I want to hear him talk about like Tropicana and Oakland and and because those oh, are the two oh, pla- those are the two places oh. that everybody says are just just complete dumpsters, right? How on earth? In fact, I, I had this conversation with uh, Mackie last week. How on earth you still have a team in the Oakland Coliseum and Tropicana Field? There aren't, because I was trying to think of this. In professional sports now, across the board, there aren't that many complete dumps left. Wrigley and Fenway are, are characters. Yeah. But, but there aren't that many dumps left, and those two are just dumps. Uh, let's take a break. Tom Kerbers, assistant GM of the Wild, will join us next up here on stage. Mackie and Judd today is Zolgad and Manny Hill. Mackie and Judd will return shortly. Guys, I thought we were in a hurry. On 1500 ESPN. From the top of the Space Needle, I can see my cousin Jerry's house. Come experience the State Fair with 1500 ESPN. All right, back from the State Fair. Mackie and Judd uh, today, Zolgad and Manny Hill. Uh, I'll be joined by Doogie tomorrow from 9 to 11, and then... Manny will be back in tow tomorrow. Now joined by a new Wild Assistant GM, Tom Curvers, who is probably a familiar name to hockey fans out there, Bloomington Jefferson, UMD. Welcome, sir. And you said that this is your first time back at the State Fair in how long? Probably 20 to 25 years. I'm not quite sure. So uh, it all looks the same, but... Yeah, it does. We don't. (laughs) No, we don't. No, we don't. And... uh, 
Yeah, the uh, the food the food remains outstanding, but as I told you before, I have to avoid it. I have to avoid it because if I start, I can't stop. And, and that's why you put this uh, sweet Martha cookie By you. jar right in front of me. But <laughs> you're in shape, so it's fine for you. It doesn't matter. Those things are danger, but they're good. They are good. They're good. Yeah. They are good. So t- tell me about the change. Now you've been based here for a long time, correct? You you worked for Tampa Bay for quite a few years, but what's the uh, shift been like? since you joined Paul as the assistant GM a few months ago. Yeah, it's tightened up my life circle with uh, with family and work together. You know, really what I did for Tampa was sort of a internal consultant on a, you know, in the scouting world and I traveled and I covered college free agents and I did some pro scouting and if we had a a trade that was warming up, I would sometimes get sent to go watch a certain player, go to Europe some. So really I I, I planned travel, I traveled, I rested from travel, planned travel and that was the cycle for you know, seven to nine months a year. And now, now I'm driving into the office. Now I get to deal with traffic. I live in Minnetonka, so driving across town. Oh, nice, town, okay. It takes a little planning every morning. But, you know, I, I've just kind of made that adjustment. I, I've never really done the office job uh-huh. uh, in the industry. I, I've, been, I've been on the scouting side the whole time, 21 years. And uh, it's a nice adjustment. You're a little closer to the action, involved in more conversations. And the people with the Wild have been very welcoming. It's been a very easy transition on that end. What's the job exactly? I mean, obviously, I'm sure Paul comes and bounces things off you, but assistant GM, what what are, are the main duties, at least at this point, that that entails uh, for Paul Fenton? I think primarily you're the you know the, you're the primary sounding board for the GM. You know, there's a lot of things you think about that turn out to be terrible ideas, and you got to throw them at the wall with someone. But then I have duties. I'm general manager of the Iowa Wild, so there's a lot of administrative stuff and a lot of things to check off on there. And then I'm also in charge of our pro scouting. Mm-hmm. So uh, there's we have four guys that uh, cover uh, American Hockey League, the NHL, and then oftentimes we'll send them to European tournaments to take a look at different prospects. So uh, you keep track of that. They kind of run themselves as I did when I was with Tampa. And, you know, it's not th- – those are guys I've known. Those are peers in the industry, and yeah, that part's been real easy. Uh, dealing with uh, – Running a team in Iowa is something new. I did a little bit in Tampa. I was assistant GM there three years. So okay. I've touched on that, but mm-hmm. I haven't uh, been in charge the way I am here. What sort of things um, coming from Tampa, and obviously that organization's had a lot of success over the years, Stanley Cup finals appearances and a, a cup back in 04. Um, what sort of experiences that, that you had in Tampa have you been able to sort of bring with you to the wild now at this point? You know, I think my experiences with Tampa are similar to Paul's with Nashville. Uh, Steve Eiserman came in in 2010, and sort of, and Jeff Vinnick bought the team, and so we had good ownership and strong management from that point forward. And it, and it was a slow process to become the team that you're talking about. So from 10 to 14, we had a couple, you know, good runs. In 11, we had a good run. In 14, we had a good season. Then we face planted in the playoffs, and then the last four years we've been good, but we did miss the playoffs one of those four years. So. Mm-hmm. It hasn't been perfect, but it's been strong and it's been uh, a well-run you know, organization. And I think the thing I learned from Iserman, Vinnick, and the Tampa organization was you have to plan, you have to be deliberate, you have to be patient, you have to wait out your own prospects, and you have to have a volume of your own prospects in place so you can reinforce your lineup with your own instead of paying a premium to trade or buy a free agent. On the flip side of that too, Tom, how much do you learn through, through your experiences of what not to do? So you see things that potentially didn't work. They, they might have been your idea or Steve's or someone else's idea. But how much do you take from, from the not-to-do list 
to try and not repeat those those mistakes here, for instance? Well, you try hard not to make the errors, but the system sets up so that you have to take some risk. And in that, there will be some errors made, whether it's a free agent signing or a trade or an attempt to boost your club or an attempt to fill a hole. So th- there is a requirement for risk, and there will be some errors. And really, we have 50 players allowed under contract. It's hard to keep more than a dozen of those guys happy. There's only so much <laughs> ice time. And a lot of guys are playing in Iowa that want to be in the NHL, and there's a lot of guys that aren't in Iowa yet that want to be there, and there's prospects that think they're ready for the NHL, and you send back to junior. Yep. So it's hard to keep a lot of guys happy at any given time, whether you're the best team in the league or the worst. So you do the best you can to try to keep it moving forward and try to keep keep pieces in place and then uh, and then go and compete and, and have things break your way and then build on that. How close to a, a to competing for a Stanley Cup is is this team? Because I think the thought from the last couple of years of, of going out in the first round, there's sort of a thought, well, maybe they're not quite as close as you know we'd hoped or anything, but there's still a lot of talent on this roster, and you've got a really good coach in place. So how, how close to a Stanley Cup, to competing for a Stanley Cup, do you guys feel you are right now? When I look at this team, and I saw them, you know, I saw you in the press box often, and, and they've been a good team. Yeah. And you put 100 points, and you put 105 or whatever it was the year before on the board, that's good. And that's a strong team. You enter the playoffs with optimism. You hope for health. You hope for the breaks. And you hope for a performance or two from players you may not see coming. And that lifts you. Last year I watched this team uh, suffer in the playoffs and, and take some criticism. You don't have Suter. You have Spurgeon injured. You don't have Parisi in the key games in the winter pictures. All of a sudden the team may look weak at the end of that series. But those are bad breaks. Yeah. And those things can't be overcome by any team. Uh, this is a good team. They've made the playoffs six years in a row. I, I just referred to Tampa. We missed in 2016-17 after a couple years of good success in the playoffs it's it's not a given that you're in the playoffs they've been strong they've been there it hasn't gone their way but they you can go back to the year they beat st louis in the first round and dubnik came up large in games five and six Mm -hmm. to win that series and there's optimism there and you run into chicago like like this this division has had chicago until they sort of dropped off and now nashville's been President's Trophy and Cup finalists. Yep, it, it, it's tough, and and so I guess the hope we're looking at Washington. So they've been a good team for ten years. Yeah, and this conversation could have gone on last summer about Washington. What do they got? They're now they're <laughs> now they're breaking it up. They're mm-hmm. not going anywhere. They're ready to fail. They didn't fail. They made it, and so that's the hope. These guys have been good, and then they can we can get, have everyone healthy at the right time and get all those things in place for a playoff run. So if that's the case, who is your Ovechkin? Who, who's, the, who's the guy who's – I mean, you, you don't have that, but who's the guy who is – who do you guys look at and say that you can realistically see the progress there that that player could have a breakout year in 2018-19? Well, I'll go back to uh, speaking with Bruce, you know, and, and what I've seen with Erickson Eck, he's a solid player. We don't know what kind of goal-scoring capacity is there. He's been a young player in the league. And the danger of putting a young player in is you take a good player who's been a great player at his age group and you turn them into a defensive player because they play a cautious game yep. in order to stay in the NHL. Well, we want we want goals from those key players, those key young players. You hope for someone to show up in camp and be a better player than you expected, whether it's summer training, maturity, or whatever it may be, turn the court, get in the right situation, and 
and find what it takes to be really good in this league. And the first guy I would talk about is that because he's a good player. Interesting. Uh, this conference, it was good last year. It's better, I think. St. Louis, on paper at least, has improved itself. In the conference, Calgary, I think, has improved. Uh, I don't expect Chicago to be a dumpster fire, especially if they get goaltending this coming year. How difficult is making the playoffs going to be based on the fact that your division and the conference, I think, has probably taken a step from being very good up about a notch from that, maybe? I agree with you. I, I can't see Edmonton having another troubled season. They have, yeah, you're right. You know, they have their Ovechkin and, and yep. David or, or better. Um, you know, this division has been tough. It's not gonna. It's not gonna be weaker. St. Louis made all kinds of changes in order to keep up with what's going on in, in the division. They ought to be better. Mm-hmm. I think it boils down to which goaltender has the big time season, and all this other stuff we talk about is important. Goaltending matters the most. So that that being said, though, what's the the rule of thumb, especially during the course of a season, of how, how much a goaltender can play too? Because in your case, Dubnik, you want to ride him. But you don't want to ride him to the point where you get to the playoffs and he's spent, right? So that that's got to be the balancing act of having a quality backup goaltender who you can who you don't have to play in the playoffs necessarily, but can pick up what twenty five games during the course of the season. Is that correct? I think that's about right. I read an article on Vasilevsky. Um, you know, I keep up with the, the information flow out of Tampa, and and they're looking. He's for not a, too bad, by, by the way. Yeah, he's, he's pre- okay. He's pretty good. He's <laughs> he's still young, and yep. he competes, and and you know, he's got all the right stuff. But but the goalie coach in Tampa, a guy named Franz Jean, a real gentleman and a real astute guy. Uh-huh. You know, he's talking about a sweet spot, and you're right on it. It's it's 55 games or so out of your starter. You want him fresh and healthy when the playoffs start. But you got to lean on him in the season because you got to get to the playoffs. So you, you can't say 40 and 40 so he's fresh and then miss right. by a couple points and say, well, geez, that's that's great. We have a fresh goalie and we're not there. So you count on your starting goalie and, and you're depending on health and you're depending on on those things to get you there. And then it's exciting. Like It still is. Even not though like the old days, 16 to 21. Back when I was a kid, everybody made it. Oh, yeah. And remember four games in five days in the first round? That was murder. I played in a couple of those. As a fan, I sort of liked it. But, yes, you're, yeah, I it, wouldn't want to play in it. It was four games in five days, and, and yeah. there were bullies out there. That, <laughs> and there was there were criminal acts going on on the ice. <laughs> and, you know, I went are, to a bunch of games at Met Center. I'm well aware of that. Those are two-minute penalties. I know. You couldn't, you couldn't do that on the street here and, and get out of here I alive. could slash you from behind, and I if it was an overtime of playoff game, they probably wouldn't call it. Probably not. Uh, one old-school question for you. As a kid from here, i got to ask you, I, I want to say it was the 91 draft that you were traded to the North Stars. And you were with the North Stars for a tick and then moved, if I'm not mistaken, to the island, correct? Correct. What was what was that experience like for a local kid who I would guess you had the inkling that you were going to play here and thinking it was awesome, and then they call you back and like, yeah, we traded you to New York? Well, this uh, it was June of 91 at and draft time, so third week in June, and uh, I was at Grandma's Marathon, and and I don't think I had a cell phone, and... <laughs> <laughs> if I was you did, at, it was an old Zach Morris from Saved by the Bell. <laughs> big block. Big block of that's hell. right. That's right. So I got wind of it while I was on the, you know, what looked like this, uh, the, you know, the the party that goes on at the finish line at Grandma's Marathon. Yeah. On, uh, I guess it was on Friday evening. I kind of got wind of it. 
And then remember when you called your home phone and you kind of punched a little chip and it would sort of read your messages yeah. back? Mm-hmm. You have six new messages. That's right. Mm-hmm. And I had a message from, uh, let's see, from Brian Burke in Vancouver. Okay. And they had traded me to Minnesota. Okay. And he, and he said, I'll, I've traded you to Minnesota. I think that'll work out well for you. Good luck. Give me a call when you get the message. And then I had another message from an old teammate who said, hey, welcome to the island. And I didn't really know that. But it was spaced out in a day's time. So that's oh. all I knew. For a night, <laughs> I was going to Minnesota. And then the next day, I, I got calls that I was going. I got traded again. So I got cr- traded twice in two days while I was at Grandma's marriage. But you really didn't know about it till uh, after the fact. Then. After so, it was all so done. So there, there was no real excitement about, about being a North Star because you immediately punched in the code and found out that you'd been traded right on. to New York. Okay. Right. Yeah. I'd See, like, here I thought you might have like thought for a day, this is great. I'm going to be a North Star. I'm going Bloomington. I'm going home. No. What I do remember was uh, the ga- the draft was on TV. It was on, you know, one of those first years they ever covered the draft. And they said, we'll be right back with news of a trade. And okay. And so I waited. I said, hang on. We'll, we'll go down there in a minute. And it was, I think it was Saturday morning. And it was the second trade. And yeah, Curvers has been traded again. I went, I think that's me. <laughs> okay, now from where to where. So, yeah, I mean those those trade things are. It's a it's an interesting experience. And when I played, you took it as sort of a a, a bad thing. Yeah. In hindsight, I lived in New York. I lived in Vancouver. I yeah. lived in Toronto. I lived in L.A. I, I mean, it was a fantastic experience. Are you aware of? And in fact, I, I did a Google search on your name yesterday. The Maple Leaf stories about you were still out there. About that trade? That won't go away. If, if, but it, you, it's Herschel Walker. Do you ever feel like saying, I didn't do it. I was traded. No, it's it's comical where, where that you're has right, gone. But it's Herschel Walker. Like, you're seen as, as that trade. I, I'm Herschel Walker in Toronto. If I drop my credit card on the table in Toronto, we have, we have a round of beers. There's a chance that, well, they're probably too young now, but there's a chance for 10 years after the trade that someone, you know, have something harsh to say. You're like, Dude, I didn't. I didn't make the deal. I was just trying to play. So, yeah, it it still exists. It still lives in Toronto. But on the other side of it, my, I started my career in Montreal. We won the cup. Yeah. And I'm not saying I won them the cup. I played with Patrick Waugh and Chelios and Ganey and Robinson. Yeah. We win the cup. I'm considered an you know a cup winning alumni in Montreal. It's it's well, it's, it's awesome. rather great. Toronto. I go to Toronto and it's it's Hers- It is. It's the best. Wow. connection you can make is Herschel Walker trade and it's that's unbelievable it's crazy try to explain that to my boys they can't figure it out yet they're not old enough but uh, <laughs> oh that's great it's funny stuff here and there thank you sir Tom Curvers, assistant GM of the Wild kind enough to step on uh, stage here and join us for a hockey conversation let's take a break come back after this Mackie and Judd today Judd and Manny people people Mackie and Judd are back after this brief timeout on 1500 ESPN. Phil Mackie, Judd Zolgad. These guys can waste more time doing nothing than anybody of all time. Mackie and Judd on 1500 ESPN. All right, Mackie and Judd, uh, today is Zolgad and Manny. We're on until 1 o'clock when uh, Garage Logic will take over. Matthew Collar, by the way, in the noon hour, 12.15-ish, to talk Vikings. All right, here's the Curvers trade. So, okay. so this in Canada, in Toronto, this is their Herschel Walker trade. It's much simpler, but it's there. oh, my gosh, 25 years after we have to go back and revisit this trade. Um, the trade was... Tom Curvers sent from the New Jersey Devils organization to the Maple Leafs. 
in exchange for a first-round pick in the 91 draft. Okay. All right? That pick was used. It ended up being the third overall pick, and it was used on Scott Niedermeyer. Oh. Who ended up being, as you guys probably know, not, pretty good. not too bad of defensemen. He's pretty good. But that's why, that's why people in Toronto to this day still stop poor Tom and say, can't believe we made that trade. But they, they it does gotta, go. They got to get over that, but, though, man. That's I mean. But it's it. But he's right. He's right. It's, it's the it's, Herschel trade. And yeah. you know what? To this day, do we ever say it wasn't Herschel's fault? No, we no. don't. We blame We're Mike mad. Lynn. Yeah. We blame Herschel Walker. We're mad at Herschel for not being. Yes. Yeah. If Herschel Walker, to Tom's point, if Herschel Walker comes into town and goes out to Murray's or Manny's and drops his credit card, and the waiter or waitress is of a certain age, you damn well better be sure that yeah. they're, they're going to say something. And you're right in the sense that we should get past it, but we can't. We can, and, and in Toronto, the Maple Leafs, I would probably make a case, are bigger than the Vikings are here, and that's knowing that the Vikings are enormous here. Yeah. Very true. But yeah. how about well, that? Scott well, Niedermeyer. Yeah, and, and I guess with the with the Herschel trade, you always think about, okay, what it, what it ended up becoming for the Cowboys. They went on to win the three Super Bowls and, and all of that. And, you know, and Scott Niedermeyer was a terrific defenseman, obviously, a Hall of Fame defenseman uh, for a number of years. And the Devils went on and won, won some cups and everything. So, yeah, I, I get it, but... Man, it's been well, yeah, also, three decades, man. Okay. It's, got, it's time to move on. All right, but the Vikings parallel goes deeper. The Maple Leafs haven't won a Stanley Cup since yeah. 1967. Yeah. So if you make this trade and you don't get Scott and he goes on to flourish elsewhere and you win a cup or two, you're like, okay, yeah, that, yeah that's not a great trade for our team. But, but just like the Vikings, the parallel is you're not going back to Stanley Cup. You're not winning championships. Yeah. So the frustration of all of these things, if, if the Vikings pay it off this year, finally, and they go to Atlanta and they win a Super Bowl and this town goes bonkers, the Herschel trade becomes much more of a footnote, I think, right? Because you finally sure. got your championship. Sure. But all of this, all of these things remind these passionate fan bases of the things that didn't work in pursuit of a championship well, that you still don't have. Well, it's kind of like, like if you're a Red Sox fan, you, you're finally over... Bill Buckner letting the ball go between his legs because correct because you you know you've gotten you've won the World Series three times now and you're you're not mad at Bucky Dent anymore and you're not talking about the curse of Bambino anymore because more you've won the World Series. yeah yeah exactly but I just I look at the 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 Tom Curvers trade though and I'm thinking well okay let's say the Maple Leafs don't make that trade would they have taken Scott Niedermeyer well. That's that a very draft? good question. I mean, that's, that's the thing you have to think and about. Other, it's kind of the same thing with yeah, the Vikings. If they, you're right. If they don't, okay, let's say they don't trade for Herschel, do they, do they draft? end up drafting? Who are the guys that they end up? Well, Emmett Smith was part of a trade, I believe, of a bunch of, of those yeah. picks. And like was they Le- didn't was take, Leon Lett part of that, too? Yes, like but a bunch of those Darren were. Darren Woodson or something, too? And, and, but a, a bunch of those guys, or a few of those guys, I think, were taken with picks that were obtained in the, Viking, in the, dra- or in the trade with the Vikings, but they were then packaged and because – Jimmy Johnson was a master at moving up and down. Right. So, like, he didn't just stand pat with the Vikings' picks and take these great Because the players. Cowboys didn't actually use one of the picks to take Emmett yes. Smith. They, like, traded back or something yeah. and got another, so got, like, right. an extra pick and then ended up taking Emmett Smith. So, and, you're, yeah. you're right. It's not, it's not as if the Cowboys got these picks and just started to use them 
and hit on all of them. They actually very wisely, I think, started to manipulate the picks into other picks. Yeah. And so to what you just said, the question then becomes, would Mike Lynn or, or whoever ended up running the Vikings draft have done the same? And I think the, absol- the answer is absolutely not. Right. But it all, but it all goes to... It just can't it, get over it. All it, goes to the, it all goes to the frustration, though, of yeah. all of these things were done chasing a championship that you still don't have. I mean, for the Toronto Maple Leafs not to have a Stanley Cup, I don't think they've been, in fact, I'm positive of this, they have not been back to the Stanley Cup Finals since 1967. The Vegas Golden Knights, an expansion franchise. And they've made, like, what, one conference final, maybe? Barry Melrose made or uh, I'm sorry, they lost to Barry Melrose, to Gretzky, Kings, and the in Kings 93, yeah. in 93, and I think, I think that's it. Wow. But um, the Las Vegas, or the Vegas Golden Knights, went to the Stanley Cup Finals in their first year of existence. Toronto, probably the most hardcore hockey city that there is, hasn't had that experience the Raptors, since before the Raptors a lot of their have made more was conference born. finals in the last 25 yes. years than the Maple Which is why <laughs> our poor guy, Tommy Carver, still gets dumped on to this day oh. for something he had no control over. And at, fir- at first you do, you do think to yourself, we'll just get past it. But then if you use I the Vikings, it, if you use the Vikings uh, parallel here, I get it. Yeah. our frustration is theirs. Very much the same. And theirs might be worse. Very much the same. Let's take a break. An hour left to go. Uh, Collar will join us about 12.15. Questions at 12.30. And uh, next up, let's talk about the team that almost got Kirk Cousins and actually was willing to pay more than the Vikings. We'll do that next. Mackie and Judd today is Judd and Manny. The sights, the sounds, the smells. The State Fair on 1500 ESPN.